Welcome to Catholic Moms in the Middle, a podcast for midlife moms who want to make the next season of life their best one yet. I am your host, Jenny Gwynn. You might find yourself transitioning into a new phase of life as your children become more independent or leave the nest. Mama, I am here to tell you that your life isn't over. You simply have new opportunities ahead of you. After years of pouring your heart and soul into raising your family, it is your turn to reconnect with yourself. In this podcast, we will talk about the joys and challenges of midlife. You will be inspired to rediscover your God-given purpose or to dust off old dreams and make them a reality. You'll learn how to navigate relationships with your adult children, to reconnect in your marriage, or focus on your health by being more active or finally losing the weight you've struggled with for years. Whatever this next season of life brings, this podcast will equip and encourage you to be happy, healthy, and holy. Hey friends, I'm Jenny Gwen. This is Catholic Moms in the Middle. Y'all, we have an amazing guest on the show this week. I am so honored to have Kimberly Hahn, who is going to talk about her love of the Catholic faith. She's going to talk about her faith journey, how she and her husband, Scott, live their faith through their marriage and their family life. I am so excited to have her. So Kimberly, welcome. Thank you, Jenny. It's great to be with you. Yes, I am so grateful. Kimberly and her husband, Scott Hahn, are inspirations in the Catholic faith, their leadership in the St. Paul Center. I recently was at the Magnificat Conference up in Pittsburgh and was blessed to hear not only Kimberly speak, but also Scott. And their perspective, their knowledge of the Catholic faith, it was just so amazing. I, I My hand hurt after both of you <laughs> Because I took so many notes. So, Kimberly, let's talk about your faith journey. Because I know that you had this beautiful conversion into the Catholic Church. So, will you talk about your faith and how that journey impacted you? Mm -hmm. Well, my parents are deeply committed Christians. My dad was a Presbyterian pastor. And... And so I grew up always hearing about Jesus and really being drawn into faith as a young child. Um, one, I wanted to serve the Lord, and part of what drew my heart so much to Scott Hahn was his passion for Christ and his passion to share the gospel with youth. He recruited me for Young Life. When we went off uh, to seminary right after getting married, I never envisioned that I would go from being a pastor's wife to being married to a convert to the Catholic faith. I, I would not have dated a Catholic. And now I was married to one and not just sort of your average Catholic, because to him it was such a profound change. He really thought that the Westminster Confession was correct, that any pope should be able to be referred to as the Antichrist. And he was adamantly anti-Catholic. I wasn't so much anti-Catholic. So for me, it was like, okay, so now you've come to the conviction Catholics can be Christians. Let us, let them be. <laughs> Let's just continue on our path. And he was like, no, no, you don't understand. If we got it wrong at the Reformation, we need to come back to Rome. And so he converted in 1986, and it was four very long years before I really had a conviction about the truthfulness of the church. 
And as I said to my parents the night before I was received, I said, you need to understand, I am not doing this for Scott. I'm not doing this for my family to have unity. I said, this is now my conviction. And if Scott were to die Monday in a car accident, I would not date a non-Catholic because this is the truth. And this is how I want to live my life, the rest of my life. Um, what bearing did that have on the children? Well, first of all, we got married very unified. And as Scott began this journey, it was very difficult to figure out what does this mean for our family? I didn't know until the week after he became Catholic that he really had committed the children as well. And really what I was facing was continuing being the only non-Catholic in our family. And that caused a lot of turmoil. And I, sh I share a lot about that in Rome's Sweet Home. Um, certainly, we were very young in our marriage, young in family life. Neither one of us did or said it all correctly. Uh, it was, yeah, it was very, very challenging. And I'll just leave it at that. But we longed for unity in our family. It just couldn't be unity at any price. And so one of the deepest joys was being received into the church and having that truly unified life again. Um, and I can tell you there was deep relief in the heart of our oldest seven-year-old who came and witnessed my being received into the church and just knowing um, that we had one direction as a family. And shortly afterwards, we moved to Steubenville, where Scott began to teach at Franciscan. Um, and since then, it's been just a wonderful discovery of deeper and deeper layers of truth lived out in our marriage and family life. Well, and I'm so inspired. I'm a cradle Catholic and was raised in a huge Catholic family where you just went to church, you said your prayers, you prayed the rosary. It was just part of life. And, and that's beautiful. And I'm so grateful for that. But I'm inspired by converts because they truly know the faith. They've, they've studied the faith and they've had this struggle with the Catholic faith. Like, do I believe it? Do I not? Do I? you know, become Catholic, do I not, where it's just part of who I am. And so I have to be careful not to take it for granted. I have to be careful not to just, oh, yeah, that's what the church said, so that's just what I believe. And I have found as I, maybe it's just getting older, or maybe it's part of midlife where you really start thinking about things. I've taken a step back, like, why do we believe that? Like, why does the church teach this? And I have mm -hmm. found myself, instead of these are just the teachings, going deeper. And yes. so it sounds like that's what you went through before you became Catholic. Sure. And there's also deeper understanding to come to. Um, I think this is one of those critical things that happens when your children reach the age of 10, 11, 12, and they begin not to push back. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a reaction from your children, but they do want to know why. They mm -hmm. do want that put into their hearts. And it, you don't want to just simply say, well, this is, this is what I've taught you or the Catholic right. Church teaches that. It's, there are reasons. And so that's one of the ways I think as a mom of teenagers that we go deeper in our own faith because we want 
to put the why into their hearts. Um, to just say, um, you know, you, you need to remain chaste. Why? Why is that significant? Why is it important on the human level, on the spiritual level? And, and that conversation that you sort of naturally have with younger children really develops into what I think are delightful years, um, always with challenges, always with, um, you know, wanting to assert more and more independence. And that's not a bad thing. It's just you, you want to direct it. You want to direct it and give them that sense that, that they are owning this themselves. And right. as they begin to share the faith and they get questions, then they go deeper because they want to answer their friends' questions. You know, they're going to argue. So get them arguing for the faith, <laughs> getting them. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. I can remember not so long ago, I went to our pastor and he's a younger pastor. And I said, you know, my children are questioning the faith and they're looking at other denominations and what they believe and, you know, going back and forth. What do I do? And he said, they are in a great place. If your children are questioning the faith, then that means they're learning more about it. That was so comforting to me. Like I said, instead of them just going, oh, yeah, this is what we believe, that mm-hmm. they, even though they may not realize they're going deeper in the faith, those questions and seeking to answer them was taking them deeper in the faith. Yeah. I do think at that point, it's still critical that we parent. So even in the midst of questioning, and some children will question more than than probably I experienced with my own children. Is it an option for them not to go to mass? Is it an option for them not to go to confession? Is it an option for them not to join the family in prayer? There are very important lines that you need to draw as a parent and say, I can appreciate your questions. If you don't feel like you can receive the Eucharist, you still have to be there because it's mortal sin not to be. And we have to take seriously the church's teaching on this so whether or not they feel like they're disconnected from God, it will actually disconnect them from God. Um, one of the things my husband told our young boys who were maybe 13 or 14 was if you are, are ever hesitant to go to Mass because you feel like you might be in serious sin, you do not need to tell me what the sin is, but you need to tell me uh, that you need to get to confession and I will find you a priest. Oh, that's, you know, questions asked, you know, and so rather than have them in that awkward situation where they've gone to mass, they feel like I am in mortal sin, but if I don't receive, all eyes are going to be on me and mom and dad are going to wonder what's going on. You know, he just removed that dilemma and he was very faithful to that. And I, I so appreciated he thought of that because that wasn't just, that wasn't on my radar, you know. Oh, and that that's so interesting because... You know, when your children get into high school, and I can remember having conversations with them about if you get yourself in a situation where somebody shouldn't be driving or you find yourself at someone's house and things are happening that you don't need to be a part of, you have this plan where they can call you. But yes, that's beautiful that you also have this spiritual plan. Like if they find themselves involved in something, let's get you to the church. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I think we could do more. You know, I'm, I'm trying to assess things now and I'm watching my own children very generously developing relationships between their parish priests and their kids. And 
I, I don't think we did a good job on that, but I'm challenged by my own children, um, hosting their parish priests, having their children develop friendships, natural friendships in the context of their family with these priests. And of course, now I have a son who's a priest. So I keep wondering, is anyone inviting him over for dinner? Does anyone extend? Well, did I? You know, I didn't do a very good job with that. It was way too occasional. And, uh, but I'm pleased to see my own children doing more than I did and sort of taking our example and going deeper with their own kids. Just beautiful. So I want to talk a little bit about when you and Scott both finally came into the Catholic Church, when you were both received into the church, and how you felt this unity in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about like the fruits that come in a marriage when you're on the same page and you're praying together and you're going to Mass? What has been your experience with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very healing um, in the midst of the four years where we were not on the same page and probably the year before when Scott was beginning to really question things, um, we developed some poor habits of conflict resolution. Um, it was very intense because the faith mattered so deeply to both of us and so Being on the same page was the beginning point. Coming to Mass, praying together as a family, all of that brought deeper healing and deeper resolution. But we also sought out counseling because we we had developed patterns that needed to change. And I think just because you're deeply committed Christians doesn't mean that you know how to resolve conflict without some outside assistance. Uh, my dad is the one who married us. He was, uh, as I said, a Presbyterian pastor, and he would do some casual counseling sessions with us, um, just saying, you know, how are you doing? And, and how can I, how can I help? How can I pray for you? But then when we became Catholic, we also needed spiritual input that was Catholic. And I'm so grateful that we didn't fall into that notion that um, things aren't falling apart and we're on the edge of divorce, so why would we seek counseling? No, the goal was to have us be healthy and holy in our marriage. And so that was really critical. Um, It also was important that we learn how to live the faith together. What did it mean to live the liturgical calendar? What did it mean uh, to pray with our children? And we did we did not initially do a family rosary. Initially, we did an after-dinner decade, which it takes about three minutes. But we had at that time, our children were seven, five, three, and I was, or two, and I was expecting the next baby. And so we could do that. You know, and and they could sit still that long. When we hit the year of the rosary, when St. John Paul II announced it, um, Scott said, you know, we now have older children. It's really time for us to switch from just a simple after-dinner decade to the whole rosary together. And it was important that I back up Scott. You know, sometimes as moms, we can think we are the spiritually sensitive ones. Right. And we do have insights, but our husbands have insights. 
And when our husband risks saying, hey, let's go to confession Saturday, or let's pray the rosary, or let's do this, ladies, we have got to back him up. <laughs> We've got to come alongside and say, thank you for that spiritual leadership. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. And we and our sons need to see that in our husbands. Yes. My husband is also a convert. He he didn't really have a choice when he married into this huge Catholic family. He came into the church, and I can remember in the early years of our marriage, I was the spiritual leader. I was the one that had to get everybody out the door for Mass. We have a very active Curcio movement in our okay. diocese, and we each made Curcio. And Gary, my husband and I, we often say there was like our faith life before Curcio and our faith life after it. And it was Curcio that launched him into becoming the spiritual leader of our family. Like yes. he he was the one who now was like, okay, we're going to be late for mass. He was the one that was praying the rosary. And now it's a partnership. Our children mm-hmm. are grown and out of the yeah. house. But I can just remember thinking what a blessing it was that he stepped into that role. We yes. have three boys and how beautiful oh. it was for for them to see their dad taking that role. So it is yeah. very important. And and am I correct? Curcio is women with women and men with men. Yeah. Because so many men don't have that role model. And so Curcio is one of those beautiful movements that really allows men to call men to be the men of the family and be that spiritual leader. So we need our priests to be more deliberate in calling men to be the leaders, but we also need men in the congregation. Curcio is one of those beautiful movements that enables yes. men to really be honest with each other and and then give ideas about how to be that spiritual leader. Absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people with Curcio that the weekend is great, but it's what comes after yes. that really brings it all together. And Gary being a part of that and us being a part of it as a couple really strengthened our faith. Listening to you talk about faith and marriage, I think one of the things that Gary and I have realized is that we challenge each other. You know, we call each other out when maybe we aren't leaning into our faith or we're being lazy with our prayer time or whatever. And so I think that's one of the fruits is that you have this partner that is, is going to build you up and encourage you, but also challenge you and call you out when you need to lean into your faith more. Yes. The Holy Spirit will bring inspirations to each of you. And then, and then you kind of test it by saying, well, I, I wonder if we're supposed to do this or we're supposed to do that. And, and as you share, being on the same page and pray for each other, the Lord really moves in beautiful ways. And I'd love to just give one illustration. So we were coming up to our 25th wedding anniversary. We're actually now coming up to our 45th. But so oh, 20 wow. years ago, 20 years ago, Scott said, you know, would you like me to take you somewhere? Would you like to go someplace? And I said, you know what is really on my heart? I said, given the ages of our kids, 21 down to five, we had six children. I said, I would like to do a mission trip as a family and build a house in Tijuana, Mexico. We had a friend who did this. We talked 
to our children, they all said yes. It was such a meaningful trip. I cannot imagine something better for us for our 25th wedding anniversary. It was so on my heart, and Scott listened to my heart. It wasn't what he would have chosen, but then once it was set in motion, he chose it, and he led it, and it it was just so beautiful. And we have five sons, one daughter, and I really believe it had a meaningful impact still as we, and we have wonderful pictures of it. And I've seen the grandchildren look through the book and see what happened. There are things that people hear at mass or uh, read about in the paper. And, and they bring these ideas to their spouse and say, is this something we could do? Could we take Thanksgiving morning and go serve at the soup kitchen? Could we join the neighborhood on a rosary walk? Could we, and, and really see if, if your hearts come together on it and then leading your family can produce some wonderful results. And you never know how doing things like that plant little seeds. Yes. Yes. Um, I am. I have a huge Medjugorje heart. I share this all the time and I love hearing the stories, the conversion stories, especially when young men go over there and there's a seed planted in their heart for a vocation. And even if that seed is planted when they're younger, it finally blooms when they're older. And so you never know in those situations, the rosary walk or right. simply taking your child to adoration, which little seeds are going to be planted in their heart. So true. That is just... Yeah. So let's talk about, we wrap up the St. Paul Center. And mm-hmm. it's it's such a resource for the Catholic Church. Uh, you're coming to Nashville in a couple of weeks and hosting the St. Paul Center Gala. So will you tell us a little bit about the St. Paul Center? Yes. So my husband and I founded this uh, apostolate in 2001. And the goal was to make the scriptures more accessible to average Catholics. You know, for some reason, it's like Protestants have done so much with Bible study, and so it must be a a Protestant thing. But when you read church documents, I mean, first of all, the church, by the Holy Spirit, compiled the sacred scriptures. So the reason we have a Bible that we can put on our shelf is that, that the church, led by the Holy Spirit, put it together. But then secondly, the Holy Spirit leads the church in understanding the scriptures. And this is an essential part of our appreciating the faith, um, tapping into the centuries of church teaching, and then planting those seeds in our children's hearts. So we kept hearing stories of of Catholics who would attend non-Catholic Bible studies and then leave the church. And we said, wouldn't it be great if the best Bible studies in town was at St. Gertrude's? And we drew non-Catholics in who then were exposed for the first time to the richness of the faith through Scripture, and then maybe opening their hearts to the fullness of the faith and all of the sacraments and really wanting to be an intimate part of this communion. We've been a part of so many journeys, um, so many pastors and youth workers, and so many people who um, love the Lord, but now have their hearts open to the fullness of the faith. This has just been um, a great privilege and joy. The Lord has provided the church um, as such a gift. And so to to help the church and the teachings of the church be more and more accessible to Christian people is just such a privilege. I want to thank you. I have benefited so much from 
the books that you and Scott have written. I've seen the fruits of them in my own life, as well as family and friends. I thank you and Scott for listening to the Lord and going where he led you, even though I'm sure at times it wasn't always easy, but just staying true to the church and the teachings. And there are so many fruits from your your work. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for holding down the fort so we had a church to come home to. Yes, <laughs> we're so grateful. Yeah. Wow. So as we um, close, I always like to ask my guests if there's something we can pray for for them, the people listening. Is there a special intention that we could pray for for you? I would love to ask for prayer for this little baby that's on the way. My oldest son, Michael, and his wife, Anna, have seven living children, but they have suffered eight miscarriages. Okay. And this is their 16th pregnancy. And so I would really ask if people would pray that God would preserve this life. And um, she's about 10 weeks along. It's been a, a tremendous witness to life and love. Their oldest children are teenagers, and it's living the faith very deeply in front of them. It's a beautiful witness in our family um, and to others. Uh, but they have suffered deeply. Um, many, many losses. And so I'm asking your listeners, please pray for this this little baby Han. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank All right. You. Let's cleanse in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to talk about you, to praise you, to talk about all of the wonderful ways that you work in lives that you work in families. And Lord, we ask that you bless Kimberly and Scott and the St. Paul Center as they evangelize, as they spread your word, as they just teach about this beautiful Catholic faith that you have given us. And Lord, we ask that you bless, you protect, um, you bring life, this baby Han, send healing love that this is a safe healthy, happy, holy pregnancy. And Lord, we ask that you bless all of the unborn children. Mm. Mm. Lord, please be with each of our families. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Kimberly, thank you again for being here. Um, I'm so honored to have you on this show. Thank you, Jenny. Great to be with you. God bless you. <laughs> All right, friends. Until we meet again next week, go out and magnify Christ in your little corner of the world. God bless. For more information on Catholic Moms in the Middle or to set up your complimentary Moms in the Middle mentoring session, go to catholicmomsinthemiddle.com or find me on Facebook at Catholic Moms in the Middle for even more encouragement and support as you embrace this next season of life. The music for this podcast was written by Sean Williams, Catholic composer and musician. You'll find more of Sean's original music at musicbyshawnwilliams.com. That is musicbyshawn, S-H-A-W-N, williams.com.